Hello and welcome to the second episode of A Good Walk Spoiled with me, Phil Perrin. And me, Ross Evans. For this walk, we'll be exploring the city of Bristol, home of blue taxis, blue glass and Ribena. Which is purple. Which is nearly blue. There's so much to see in Bristol that we've split the walk over two episodes. In this one, we're focusing on the south of the city. Today's route is inspired by the Bristol Heritage Walk. We picked the leaflet up in the local tourist information office. We've added some extra stops and information. And if you're listening on the website, don't forget you can see pictures from the day. So let's join ourselves at the start of our walk in the centre of Bristol. Onwards! Welcome to Bristol. We're standing in the pedestrianised city centre, surrounded by a few bus lanes, the uh, Millennium Fountains, the fountain scheme that was brought in for the Millennium, which are all turned off. Cyclists, there's a few people walking around. It's a very clear Saturday morning. Let me introduce you to Bristol. It's the 10th largest city in the UK, situated in the southwest. It has a population, well, an estimated population of 442,500 as of 2015. Half a million? uh, About half a million. Famous uh, people from Bristol, Phil, include Cary Grant. Hello, Mother. The famous uh, Hollywood actor. Judd Trump. Snooker's finest. Oh, uh, actually, great snooker player that he is. Ronnie O'Sullivan, I think, is probably snooker's Mm -hmm. finest. Mm -hmm. The gem. Yes, a pretender to the crown, perhaps, Judd Trump. O'Sullivan, Diamond, Judd Trump, Ruby, Garnet. His birthstone, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Topaz. And also Maisie Williams was born in Bristol. She's an actress in the popular television programme Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. I think I'm the only person who's never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah, I think so. The origins of Bristol. Bristol grew to prominence during the Norman period, but as legend has it, was founded by Brennus and Bellinus, joint kings of Britain, some 1400 years earlier in the 5th century BC. Brennus and Bellinus, hey? The West Country's version of Romulus and Remus? <laughs> well, we'll come back to Brennus and Bellinus later. Oh, let's. We're going to start our walk in the centre today next to a statue, the statue of Neptune that we're standing next to. In the wake of, it's a nine-point walk today. We're going to head towards the harbour across Queen Square and up along the uh, the river, the River Avon that runs through Bristol, and then back towards the centre. I've taken, I've taken a picture uh, of the mackerel sky that mm. is over Bristol this, this morning. You can see at our first stop, which is Neptune, he's encased. He's encased in what appears to be a makeshift coffin. I don't know if he's, uh, he's getting carted away, but the, something's going on. The, the pedestrianised city centre is undergoing heavy redevelopment at the moment. And so uh, we've just got the top of... We can, see, uh, we can see Neptune's head and trident poking out the top rather cheekily let me tell you about the statue i have it here in my notes it's a cast lead statue erected in 1723 and moved here in 1949 neptune's statue is a fitting reminder that the hub of commercial bristol was here on the bustling 13th century quay which once stretched to the far end of colston avenue which is about 200 meters to the east and was only covered over within the last century Equally important to Bristol's history is the city's connection with the slave trade. Trade in slaves and goods such as rum, tobacco and sugar during the 17th and 18th century formed the cornerstone of Bristol's great wealth and funded many of her most beautiful streets and public buildings, a few of which will be seen today. 
And so, from point number one here at the city centre of Bristol, we're going to move on now to uh, point number two, which is about 200 metres walk. It's the Arnolfini Gallery. Away we go. <laughs> As we're now approaching the quay, the cobbled uh, quayside, I see the ice cream van is open. Roscoe. Oh, I tell you, that wouldn't, that wouldn't sit well with me at nine o'clock in the morning. Cup of tea and a slice of toast, cheers. Mm. Rye bread and the Yakult. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, actually, there's an interesting, I've always found this interesting. Just on the quay here, uh, there's a, do you, would you mind hitting that, Phil? A nautical boy, which uh, is, come out of the sea and it's now plonked. It's a red and white boy, about the size of a, about the size I'd, of a washing machine. I'd say four, four men cramped together. It's large and cast iron. I, see, I tell you what, that's, um, that's quite a good segue, four men cramped together, into our next stop, which is the Arnolfini, Arnolfini uh, Art Gallery. It's a modern art gallery. And it sounds like the kind of thing that you would see in a modern arts gallery. Four men cramped together inside an old nautical boy. That's a, that sounds horrendous. Yeah. Four men cramped together in an old nautical boy. <laughs> Bad things happen at sea. <laughs> the Arnolfini. Originally tea warehouses built in the 1830s for Ackerman, Bush, Castle & Co. The Arnolfini today is one of Europe's foremost art venues. The Arnolfini Gallery is named after Jan van Eyck's masterpiece, the Arnolfini Portrait, which was painted in 1434, a painting depicting the Italian merchant and arts patron Giovanni Arnolfini. We're standing on the cobbled quay next to Bristol Harbour, known as the Floating Harbour. So as we look out to our right, we can see a variety of different boats and vessels. It's known as the Floating Harbour because Isambard Kingdom Brunel, the famous Victorian, early Victorian engineer, constructed a series of sluices in 1832 which meant that ships could moor afloat in the harbour instead of resting on the on the mud for long hours at low tide as they had done previously. The harbour itself isn't floating, it's it's a harbour, it's just a harbour. A common, a common misconception uh, for <laughs> visitors of Bristol. Yes. Floating? Yes. That mean? There's quite a few modern modern boats and barges. I wonder how much it's changed since 1832. Yeah. Since 1832, yep. I'll have to dig out a picture and post it on the on the web. Um, I think uh, the art. Anyway, what, what we're actually supposed to be talking about is the Arnolfini Modern Art Gallery, which is behind us. My, uh, I went to the. I, I've, I've been there a few times. I went there once with my auntie who didn't react well with the modern art. She didn't understand it at all. In fact, she was really quite angry. I remember vividly there was a small room. I didn't really understand what was going on, but there was a small room with a plinth and and stuck on the plinth was one of those old heavy, big cased plastic calculators. And uh, the only thing that happened was when you went up to press the calculators, people sort of inevitably did, it just did maths incorrectly. So you put in two times two and it come up with 137.316 and things like that. That was it. That was the, that was the installation. That was the installation? Yeah. I don't know what it meant. What does that mean? I don't know. But perhaps that's the point. It makes you think. It, it may, Well, we're here talking about it. Exactly. Outside the building and the installation was inside the building. You've brought the installation outside. That's my immediate. That's 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 my first thoughts. 
I think you could get some sort of arts grant funding with a, oh, a, a an proposal arts, of that. An arts masters. <laughs> a, ma- a master of arts. The Arnolfini, what we're going to do now is... Um, well, actually, we're, we're standing next to a, 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 a large bronze statue of one of Bristol's most famous ex-residents, John Cabot, the first 15th century explorer to land on the North American mainland. Yes, he was long revered as the first person to find North America, but that uh, I think that's been proven to be nonsense. Yes, yeah, so the Vikings and perhaps even uh, the fishermen of Bristol, the merchants of Bristol, may even have landed on North America. Yeah, not forgetting the thousands of people that are living there already. He's got a rugged face. I wonder if that's rough casting by the artist or just <laughs> years at sea. It, it looks as if the molten lumps of bronze have been slapped on. I mean, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but it's either that or he's had smallpox at some <laughs> point in his life. <laughs> and uh, and Cabot set sail in the year... Um, 1497? Yes. Yes. And not to be confused with Columbus, who set sail, as they say in America, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. We're just going to take a brief walk over Prince Street to our next stop, stop number three, which is Queen Square. Well, that's a rather ruffled-looking... He doesn't turn himself out well at all, that pigeon, has he? No. He's, <laughs> on the, he's on the walk of shame. He's been out on it all night. <laughs> he's just got up. A, a particularly sorry-looking pigeon. At least he had all his toes. I often see pigeons with no toes. Yeah, or a missing an entire foot. foot. Flying rats. Uh, uh, they have perhaps unfairly been called. I think pigeons are quite uh, are, are surprisingly clean. It's not going to be an advert for Sillip Bang or anything, but the number of diseases which they carry underwing is not as high as you perhaps think it might be. Much maligned members of the bird family. The pigeon and my favourite bird, the seagull. Everyone uh, hates seagulls. Why? Because they're a bloody nuisance. I think it's uh, th- th- because they they uh, they have no regard for you know things like personal space. They're scavengers. That's why. The seagull has no regard for human space. Yeah. How about they're having this exact same conversation in their nest, saying, "These humans, they've got no regard for seagull space." <laughs> ever yeah, thought probably, ever thought of it like that? Possibly. Yeah. Uh, we're just arriving into uh, Queen Square now. We're, we're arriving through the southwest corner, would you say? Selfish humans. You're, the, you're, the you're still f- going on about seagulls. You're, you're the problem. You're the problem, <laughs> not the seagulls. You're a seagull fanatic. I'd, I'd, I'd never realised this. Massively so. We, we're arriving now in Queen Square from oh. the from the southwest, I would say. Well... I suppose technically it's south southwest. <laughs> south, south south by southwest. The unsuccessful sequel to North by Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think Carrie was involved in that production. North by Northwest. Now this may be a controversial point, but oh, right, okay. the the last the last three shots in the entire film. Yeah, you're sh- hang on, you're shaking your head. Yeah, I I know this is going to be this is anyway. The last three shots are they're they're on they've been chased. Cary Grant and his lady, 
and they're on Mount Rushmore and it's a literal cliffhanger. She's off the side of the cliff. Yep. He pulls her up going, take my hand, next shot on a train, Mrs. Anderson. They're, you know, they're married and then they're on holiday. And then train goes into tunnel, end of the film. Yeah, it's ironic. Chase, 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 cliffhanger, knob gag. You're, you're describing the irony. It's, I just found it a slight letdown <laughs> from what was what is, was a fantastic film oh it's all right it's cheers. almost as if it's almost as if alfred couldn't finish it cheers barry norman <laughs> we're slowly walking into the center of queen square now it's the second largest town square in england i have written down here i think this is the only park in bristol which is flat quite possibly quite possibly yeah bristol's a very hilly city and uh, like many places, have you heard that quote about Bristol being like Rome, built on seven hills? They say that about Everywhere. loads of places. Sheffield. Sh- Sheffield has uh, always sprang to mind, yeah. yeah. We're surrounded by uh, Georgian houses all the way around. Uh, Norwich. <laughs> really? <laughs> isn't that in the flattest county, Norwich? Uh, Norfolk is the flattest county, isn't yeah. it? It's very flat, yeah. The low counties. See what I did there? <laughs> Queen Square is named in honour of Queen Anne after her visit to the city in 1702 and was built over what had been a marsh in the Middle Ages. It's always wet. It's almost always wet throughout the year. It often floods. Returns to its martial state. It's, uh, it's, uh, martial, it's martial origin. Oh, that's the film with Jet Li. We're, uh, we're standing in the centre of Queen Square now, right in the centre. Uh, we're by the uh, statue here of William III, who is on a... It's, it's quite a commanding statue. It's a cast, a cast in 1733, this statue, which is on, a, on top of a tall plinth. It's commanding a view across the park. That's, that's William III. He's dressed as an emperor. A Roman emperor. Is he off to, is he off to a fancy dress party? <laughs> No, it actually says, according to my notes, as with paintings, it was customary at the time to show kings and warriors in classical costume rather than in contemporary clothing. He's certainly dressed in classical costume. He is, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, he's... Uh, he's is he... Uh, Toga he and toe-toe? leather thongs. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Uh, William III, who led the glorious revolution of 1688, the restoration uh, of a Protestant monarch deposing the Catholic uh, James II. He came over and landed William III with about 40,000 men in, uh, in Torbay in Devon, which was roughly twice the size of the Spanish Armada. The Dutch invasion of Britain in 1688 that is often forgotten. I've been to Torbay. It's huge. They could have easily brought more men than that. <laughs> uh, after the Battle of the Boyne, when James II tried to get back the throne for William III in uh, 1690. James II fled to France while his Irish allies were massacred by William III's forces, earning James II the nickname uh, Seamus and Kaka. I've probably butchered the Irish there, but which uh, translates as James the Beshitten. James the Beshitten. So William III died in 1702 of pneumonia, a complication from a broken collarbone following a fall from his horse Sorrel. Because his horse had stumbled into a mole's burrow, many Jacobites toasted the little gentleman in the black velvet waistcoat. Very good. <laughs> I'm just looking at his horse. Do you think his horse is a bit boss-eyed? 
Rizbrack is the person who's cast this. He's a very famous artist at the time. But I'd like to pick him up on the eyes. If he was here, I'd say they're a little close together. <laughs> Sorrel, I'm over here. Uh, there, there is uh, also a, uh, a theory. Have you heard this theory about equestrian statues? Oh, yes. If there are two legs in the air, the, the, person, the rider died in battle. If there's one leg in the air, the rider died by wounds made in battle. And if, if no legs are in the air, uh, the rider died by any other reason. Is that true? Well, they did, uh, they did some research in America around Gettysburg, apparently, which matches this code, but it doesn't exist. That's not... It, everywhere else, it's... Complete it, nonsense. It, it is complete nonsense, yes. Yeah. So there, there's no correlation between the number of horse legs off the ground and how the person on the horse died. Okay. I, I noticed there's no category for three there. There's zero, one, or two. There's no three. Three legs are Three off legs the off the ground? Yeah. That'd be... A- or four. There's no four. Four's not there. Four legs are off the ground. <laughs> We're going to leave Queen Square behind us now. We're going to carry on. Our next destination is number four today. It's the Old Vic Theatre, which is uh, on King Street, which is round the back of Queen Square. We're going there now. We're in transit now. We're on our way to uh, the Old Vic Theatre. I, do you know what I need to do on here? I need to turn the screen rotation off. I don't know why. Why am I recording that into the microphone? I suppose it's just... Who wants to know that? Nobody listening to this podcast will be interested in the fact that I need to turn the screen rotation off my device. I don't know, you could post this section up on how to turn off screen rotation on uh, Lenovo. Oh, uh, this is an, uh, an NVIDIA. NVIDIA, on an NVIDIA tablet. Uh, yeah, hey hey there, YouTube. Today I'm going to tell you how to put a, a, fix, a fix a stamp onto a letter. <laughs> uh, but first of all, I just want to thank everyone, for all my fans subscribers <laughs> we're uh, just walking now to the old Vic theater uh, which is on King Street and we're standing we're just passing now the King Street sign which is um well it's quite small it's, it's very it is small like uh, uh, like you <laughs> yeah well yeah and uh, <laughs> small and tired small and tired <laughs> like like a bee in September <laughs> <laughs> Point number four, the Old Vic Theatre. The Bristol Old Vic is a theatre company based at the Theatre Royal, Bristol, and is the oldest continually operating theatre in England. It was constructed in 1764 to 66. The current entrance to the theatre is in the old Cooper's Hall, which was built in 1744 for the Guild of Coopers in Bristol by architect William Halfpenny. Ah, oh, so this is, this is a new entrance, not the original. Yes, it became the foyer in 1972. It has a debased Palladian facade with four Corinthian columns. Our old friend, the, the Corinthian column, Acanthus mm. leaves. Not my favourite column. Of the... The trilogy. Ionic, Doric and Corinthian. They're the columns of the ancient world. I'm in the Ionic camp. The Ionic is the, this, the swirly one. It mm-hmm. goes, there's, there's two little swirls. Scrolls. Scrolls. Scrolls at the top. <laughs> yes. The Doric is, uh, it, it's called a capital, isn't it, at the top? And the Doric is just plain. And the Corinthian, which is the ones we're looking now, are the ones which are uh, covered by leaves. Far, far too, Acanthus leaves, far too fussy. Yeah. Far too show-offy for my liking. Well, I think, well, they're my favourite, the Corinthian. I, I put Ionic, frankly, Phil, at the bottom. I dislike the fact that there's only one line of symmetry. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a uh, brief roundup 
of uh, my view on uh, ancient, ancient architecture <laughs> with Ross Evans. Hello and welcome to Ancient Architecture with Ross Evans. <laughs> yeah, never could get that program commissioned. Uh, getting back to the Coopers Hall, the Coopers left in 1785, uh, but my notes don't expand. I wonder if they fell on hard times. Yes, perhaps had to diversify their barrel empire into new products. Mini Coopers? Oh. <laughs> uh, Cadbury's caramel kegs? Oh, because, well, well, they're technically, I suppose, they're barrels. Transferable skills, right? <laughs> yes, I think they had to get pixies to stuff the barrels with caramel because their hands were small enough (laughs) (laughs) well we're going to move on now uh our next destination is uh, a building around the corner from here called the granary which which should entice you a granary you say in the center of a city yes off we go as we're walking to the granary we're walking past a building called the bavarian beer house which i think now is a chain it's the kind of place where you go in and they've got elongated picnic tables and everyone sits around uh, aggressively <laughs> aggressively drinking uh, too much beer in a, a, a commercialised incarnation of Bavaria. I've never been to Bavaria, uh, uh, so I don't actually know what it's like. But I don't think it's like that. Point number five, the granary. Built in 1869 by Archibald Paston and William Van Gogh as a grain warehouse. The granary's exuberant style is peculiar to Bristol and is known as Bristol Byzantine. It's eclectic. Black, white and red brick. Attractive. It's, it's based on a Venetian style, uh, so it says here. It was built as a granary in 1869 with red catty brook brick and black and white brick with limestone dressings. From 1968 to 1988, it was a nightclub called The Granary. Iron Maiden, Motorhead, Status Quo and Genesis all played here. Genesis. Here's something that's not in the guidebook, Mr Evans. Yes? This building, or certainly the staircase outside, was used in BBC sitcom Only Fools and Horses, the famous sequence when Del Boy falls through the bar. The shots before that, as he's walking into this bar, uh, show him walking down a set of stairs. And these are the very stairs. We're standing in front of them now. A lot of the exterior shots in Only Fools and Horses are, is filmed in Bristol, isn't it? Yes. Nelson Mandela houses by the football ground. Yep, Ashton Gate. Mm. And there's a few other places. I That's, think there's um, a whole website dedicated to uh, Only Fools and Horses in Bristol. Is that right? It's true. Fantastic. That's the granary point number five. We're off to our next destination, St. Nicholas Market, which is, uh, it, I'll tell you what, if this, it's a bit of a walk, actually. It's all been very close so far. St. Nicholas Market, a bit of a trek. We're leaving to go there now. We're off. A lick of sunshine. If you get around this corner. A lick of sunshine. A yeah. splash of a splash oh, of the I yellow. A, I don't think it's a splash of the yellow. <laughs> yes, we're on our way to St Nicholas Market. As you can hear, though, we're once again on the cobbles. Yeah. If you're a if you're a fan of cobbles, this walk will be right up your alley. I was going to say, if you're a cobbler, that well, that wouldn't make any sense because well, I suppose it would because if, if by walking you need shoes. What on earth does that mean? That's what. <laughs> We're passing the Brigstow, that's B-R-I-G-S-T-O-W Hotel. Brigstow is the um, Saxon name for Bristol. Is that true? Yes. So I was, just having, I was just having a sweetie. <laughs> right, yeah. It wasn't, like, it wasn't a caramel keg, was it? Do you know they used to be made around the corner? <laughs> Point number six, 
We're standing outside St. Nicholas Market, the entrance to it. Completed in 1745 as a fruit and vegetable market to relieve the congestion of stalls in the old city's narrow... The congestion of stalls? <laughs> yes. In the old city's narrow streets, it was uh, well supplied with public houses, including the Rummer, which was named after a large drinking mug and is built on the site of Bristol's oldest inn, the Green Lattice. Hang on, what year did you say it was completed in? 1745. Oh, the sign outside the entrance says St Nick's Market since 1743. What is it, 43 or 45? Uh, isn't there some common some common ground, a way we can all agree? A third way? <laughs> I don't know, ask Tony Blair in his third way. <laughs> well, I know, what, uh, I know what Alistair Campbell would say. <laughs> 45. <laughs> oh, I should actually say we're walking in, we're in it now, aren't we're, we? We're surrounded by the many stalls, people going about their business on a Saturday morning. Everything's just about starting to, get, uh, starting to kick off. Food's being cooked. People are looking around for a bargain. It's all kinds of things. Oh, it's a, a wonderful smell, smell of food. We're, uh, we're next to the Rummer now, on the site of Bristol's oldest inn. The front of the Rummer was rebuilt by architect John Wood when he built the Corn Exchange on Corn Street, uh, which is just up the road, in 1743. So he built the Corn Exchange and then he redid the pub. I'm just peering inside. They have a quite remarkable selection of... Uh spirits oh yeah yeah it's quite cold isn't it and it looks quite inviting is it open <laughs> yes uh well there's only one way to find out isn't there that's that's phil falling over a chair yep um well i'm i'm much warmer now <laughs> we're uh, that's St Nicholas Market, and <laughs> we're uh, we're we're uh, going to move on to our next destination, which is uh, Corn Street, which will take us, I would, somewhere in the region of thirteen seconds to get to, because it is it's that close. Here we are, fourteen seconds later, in uh, on Corn Street. One second out. You were close. Yeah. Did I say thirteen? Thirteen. No. Oh. We're standing on the uh, pedestrianised section of Corn Street, flagstoned rather than cobbled, this one. Uh, Corn Street was the banking street of Bristol during the 18th and 19th centuries. We're surrounded by rather grand-looking neoclassical uh, buildings looking up Corn Street. On our left is Lloyd's Bank, which was built in 1854 uh, and was inspired by Sansovino's Library in Venice. And on the right is the Corn Exchange, built by John Wood in 1743, as we discussed earlier. Uh, at the front of the Corn Exchange are four bronze nails, or trading tables, dating from the 16th and 17th century, believed to be the origin of the phrase, to pay on the nail. Pay well, on I, the nail? I've never, I've never heard of that phrase. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, okay. It's vetted. We've vetted that fact. Looking at the exchange, it has two minute hands on the clock, one showing Greenwich Mean Time and the other one showing local time. What's local time? Local time? Mm. I can draw on my notes <laughs> and it says before the railways came there was no particular reason why people in Bristol should keep the same time as people in London 
At that time, there was no practical way of communicating information about time over distance. When the telegraph made such communications possible, it became necessary for people living in one area to agree that they would not keep their own local time, but would keep a time based on the local standard meridian. Bristol is about two and a half degrees west of Greenwich, so when it's noon in Bristol, it's about ten past noon in London. Local time in Bristol is ten minutes behind London. London. So, so it was the telegraph who put the nail in the coffin of local time. It was. Okay, that's the corn exchange. We're now off to point number eight, Taylor's Court. Up to the top of Corn Street and down Broad Street. We're on our way to Taylor's Court. Well, I am, but Ross uh, seems to have steamed ahead. It looks like he's talking to a chap outside All Saints Church. Uh, that lies on the corner of Corn Street and Broad Street. Quarter of an hour. Yes. Some men come out and they go around and ding the bell. See that little door in the middle? Oh yes. Yeah. Some little men and things come out. Now, I've definitely seen it, but I don't know if it still happens. But I think every half an hour, an hour, something comes on there. Okay, oh, that's fantastic. I don't Thank know you. much about the church. I've never seen anyway, it. Anyway, no. uh, I'm, I'm on a bit of a rush. I'm on a mission. You're on a mission? Yeah. He's on a mission. What's your mission? What's your mission? My mission is yeah. to get home and play Grand Theft Auto. Okay. Right. I must get to it. Well, that was, that, that was an interesting conversation. Who was that? That was, um, that was Dave. He's in a bit of a rush. We're opposite the Guild Hall on Broad Street, standing next to the entrance of point number eight, Taylor's Court. It's a, a, an anonymous-looking archway beneath a row of houses. The guide says, pass beneath the unpromising archway and enter a delightful diversion from the main route. And we are now entering that alleyway. There's, there's a lot of graffiti. Yeah, it looks quite urban. But we're through. Uh, we've arrived in Taylor's Court. First impressions? Uh, a bit disappointing. We appear to be out the back of a hotel in the smoking area of the bar. <laughs> we are, yeah. That's on our right. So on our left is the Hall of the Merchant Tailors Guild. The superb shell hood over the doorway contains a magnificent version of the Guild's coat of arms, completed in 1741. But over here we have what the building in its modern use is for, which is this. Hi, how are you? How's it going? Oh, someone's just closed the window on me rather rudely. <laughs> well, I think I'll go back to the. I think I'll go back to the shell hood over the doorway, which I think is having more fun with that actually. Absolutely. Where do you begin to describe that? There's on the left. There looks like what well, looks like the head of a deceased man, and on the right, uh, an, uh, a baby, like a cherub. That's a, a, cher cherub. a cherub. That's a cherub. <laughs> yes. It's got gold no, it's gilded. Not a baby. It's a cherub. Yeah. It's a cherub. There's gold uh, gilded camels. There's a line passant. What's passant? It's a heraldry term to describe the way that the lion is standing. There's other ones like rampant, you might have heard of. That's when it's rearing up. Right. The, uh, the camels are doing that. They're, they're rearing up on two legs. Uh, that means they died in battle, I think. <laughs> uh, and there's a, at the top, there's a lamb and flag. A lamb with a flag. A lamb and flag? Mm, at the top, yeah. That's not a lamb. Looks like a donkey. <laughs> Returning to the walk, it's worth looking up uh, at the house built above the arch that we, uh, that, that we came through. It's one of the few remaining medieval houses uh, in the city. And as we walk back into the arch, 
Um, yes, it's all kind of crookedy, crookedy angles. Is that a word? Crookedy? That's not a word, crookedy. is it? Well, it should be if it's Crooked not. is the word. Crooked angles. We're moving on now to our final destination today, point number nine, the Edward Everard Building and St. John's Gate. Point number nine. Point number nine is actually two points. The Edward Everard Building and St. John's Gate. The decision has been made by the committee to amalgamate these last two points because they're within touching distance of each other. First up, the Edward Everard Building. It's a large white tiled building with a uh, Art Nouveau front to it. I can tell you that the Edward Everard Building, designed by Henry William and opened in 1901 for the printing works of Edward Everard, the building was demolished in 1970, but the magnificent Art Nouveau facade was preserved as it is the largest decorative facade of its kind in Britain. Incorporated into the design is a tiled representation of Johannes Gutenberg and William Morris with the spirit of literature standing between them. Uh, I think the spirit of literature, the angel in the middle, is dispensing letters about Gutenberg and Morris's persons. Who is William Morris? William Morris? William Morris was a designer. I think that's somewhat underplaying his role. Uh, he was a leading member of the arts and craft movement. His literary contributions helped to establish the modern fantasy genre, while he played a significant role in the propagation of the early socialist movement in Britain. His artistic and cultural reach was seemingly boundless. That's a note that I've made there <laughs> I see and uh, Johannes Gutenberg the a man with whom he shares the facade of this building invented the movable type printing press in the mid 15th century in Germany which allowed the mass production of printed books and was economically viable for printers and readers alike Project Gutenberg is a volunteer run website that digitizes books and has them freely uh, downloadable online his name lives in the digital era there an analogue man in the digital era Wonderful. That's the Edward Everard building, which is now, I think, the offices of the Direct Line Group. Hmm. <laughs> We're now going to turn, facing down to the bottom of Broad Street, where we can see St John's Gate. This is the last remaining section of the city wall and is the sole surviving medieval gateway into Bristol, with the Church of St John the Baptist built on top. It's an original fortified Gothic arch with two additional side passages created in the 1820s. The grooves of the portcullis are still visible. Many royal visitors have passed under this arch. Henry VII passed through here in 1486 and Elizabeth I in 1574. The figures of Brennus and Bellinus, the legendary founders of Bristol, are seated in the niches above. Brennus and Bellinus were the two sons of Malmutius, supposedly the king of Cornwall in the 5th century BC. Apparently they fell out over the way Malmutius' kingdom was divided after he died. <laughs> but they were brought round the negotiating table by their mother. So their, their mum sorted out. <laughs> Mother knows best. Peggy Mitchell style. Their mum, mum sorted out Peggy Mitchell style. <laughs> Phil and Grant fighting over the arches. <laughs> the gothic arches, in this ah, case. Ah, very good. And, uh, and on that note, we've reached the, the end of our walk, the terminus. Ding, ding, everybody off. <laughs> We're, we've come full circle, really. We're standing by the sole surviving entrance to the city from the two mythical founders and us. Goodbye. Goodbye. There we are, Bristol Part 1. Any questions or comments, drop us a line on Twitter at GWSPod. And join us next time on A Good Walk Sport for Bristol Part 2. 
See you then. See ya.